We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of We Saved You a Seat. We are excited to share with you a full episode focused on mindful self-compassion with our amazing instructor, Lauren Alvarez. Thank you, Lauren, for your time, dedication, and commitment to improving the lives of children and adults. I um, am an elementary school counselor, so that's kind of my wheelhouse. I've been doing that for the last nine years. I was a fourth grade teacher before that. I've been a parent educator for years, teach parenting classes, divorce workshops for families going through divorce, and, and just going through life. I'm an LPC candidate, too, so I'm working towards being fully licensed as that. Do that on the side. If you do work in education, you always have to have a side hustle. That's just how it works in Oklahoma. But I just love helping families with any practical things that they can utilize. One thing that I came across in my graduate school studies for my counseling degree is we were taking a counseling and research statistics class, which of course I was terrified. Math, oh my gosh, I can't do math. And she had us take this compassion test, self-compassion test. And then we did exercises over the course of the um, class, you know, over the several times that we met, multiple times that we met. And then at the end of the class, after we practiced these different strategies, she had us take the self-compassion test again to see if there was any improvement in self-compassion. It was such a wonderful eye-opening experience for me because here I am a helpful person. I consider myself a kind person, a very loving person, and I scored so low on self-compassion. Self-compassion is kind of how you treat yourself. I treated everyone else with compassion Step me. So that's what today is about. I know we are entering uh, the month of shame for a lot of us because we set these things called New Year's resolutions. And our New Year's resolutions often are identifying everything we don't like about ourselves and how we're going to fix ourselves so we can be better. So I'm going to give you a different uh, way to look at all of that, how to approach times when we need to change, but how to approach it from the lens of self-compassion. So looking forward to hoping hoping that this helps you as much as it has helped me. All right, so I'm using these terms, self-compassion. Let's talk about the why. There's, uh, if any of you are familiar with Brene Brown, oh my goodness, she is amazing. She's written so many amazing books, has lots of videos, has lots of podcasts, Um, She talks about vulnerability. She talks a lot about shame. She talks a lot about empathy. And her way of living is a deep, rich way of living. And she's so wonderful to share her wisdom with us. And one of her books, The Gifts of Imperfection, the word gift and imperfection in the same sentence doesn't seem to go together. Imperfection is a beautiful thing. So in her book, she has 10 guideposts for wholehearted living. You know, cultivate authenticity, letting go of what people think. Cultivate self-compassion, letting go of perfectionism. That's what we'll focus on tonight. Cultivating a resilient spirit, letting go of numbing and powerlessness. Cultivate gratitude and joy, letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark. Cultivating intuition and trusting faith, letting go of the need for certainty. 
cultivating creativity, letting go of comparison, cultivating rest and play, letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol, letting go of productivity as the means of our self-worth, cultivating calm and stillness, letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle, as a culture, the United States, it is a fast driving motor that never seems to stop. Cultivating meaning, meaningful work, letting go of self-doubt and how you're supposed to be, and cultivating laughter, song, and dance, letting go of being cool and always in control. In her research, and she doesn't just say, oh, I'm thinking this is the next greatest trend. She backs this up with research. She's a cultural researcher. Um, these are the things that lead to a life of wholehearted living that isn't constantly plagued by self-doubt, anxiety, exhaustion. Um, and it is almost like a badge of honor in the United States to be able to list your whole entire to-do list and, oh, all the things that we're doing so great. Um, that doesn't lead to satisfaction. So self-compassion has been a journey for me, which, again, I was introduced to in grad school, and I'm so grateful for it. So what in the world is self-compassion? Self-compassion involves responding to yourself in the same supportive and understanding way that you would a good friend. When you're having a difficult time, you failed at something, or you notice something that you don't like about yourself. We, most of us, would not go up to a good friend who is sitting there talking about, I'm so frustrated. I just can't seem to get organized. Oh, I'm just, I don't like this about myself. Our response as a friend would not be, yeah, what's the matter with you? I mean, get your act together. How many different opportunities do you have to make a checklist? Duh. We would never talk to a friend like that ever but how much of how many of us that's our inner voice come on you can't get this together come on you're a grown woman you know I had to watch my self-talk and my out loud talk I became much more conscious of that when I had a daughter I have have four children three older sons but I don't know there was something about having a daughter that made me think oh my goodness I don't want her to have the same struggles with self-doubt that I've had I need to be mindful of how I talk to myself But I can't just fix externally how I talk to myself. I need to change how I talk to myself internally. So how can we learn to treat ourselves like a good friend? We're not very good about that, but there are definite strategies for that. All right. There's three parts to self-compassion. First off is self-kindness, talking to ourselves like we would a good friend. Um, Now, that doesn't mean even with a good friend, we don't tell them everything's perfect in there, you know, everything that there's not things to work on. We just, how we talk is in an encouraging way versus a discouraging way. So this isn't ignoring that there might be some things that need to change. No, it's just how we approach that. So learning to talk to ourselves in a kinder and more encouraging way, especially when we've messed up or are frustrated with something. Common humanity, realizing that we what we share with common humanity imperfection, struggle, the occasional failure, that's a being a human thing. That's not there's something wrong with Lauren thing. That's a, I'm a human. This is what humans do. We are imperfect. We all struggle. We all have occasional failures. Instagram wouldn't let you think that. Facebook and social media might not want you to think that. But we all have imperfection, struggles, and occasional failures. Then there's the mindfulness piece. Being with what is in the present moment, accepting even those uncomfortable feelings. I love the brain and I love the more that I learn about the brain, um, how much it empowers me. So if you are have a very negative self-talk, if you are stressed out, if you are exhausted, 
the parts of your brain that you're exercising, the parts of your brain that you're building super strong connections in are the reactive parts of your brain. The parts of your brain that are associated with peace and calm and joy and satisfaction, a lot of times those parts of the brain are being underutilized. So when you do things like mindfulness, you are creating new neural pathways in your brain. A neural pathway is a connection of nerves, you know, neurons, that when they're used over and over and over again, it creates like a little road in your head. So your brain becomes familiar with it and it's easier for it to do those things. You know, when a little baby is learning to walk, they practice it over and over and over again. A strong neural pathway is made for balance and motor skills. And now that's easy for them. Same thing with mindfulness. It's literally building neural highways in your brain that help you be able to calm down faster, help you to be able to let go of frustration faster, help you to be able to accept uncomfortable feelings without all the side effects of shame and frustration faster, because we will be practicing those things. So self-compassion, these three things working together really bring you to that place of self-satisfaction, calm, peace, just not so stressed out and worried all the time. All right. Now, digging in a little deeper. Uh, I know that as a school counselor, I was highly trained in how to build children's self-esteem. Self-esteem is how I feel about myself. I feel good about myself. I have a high self-esteem. I don't feel so good about myself. I have a low self-esteem. But when you really peel away all the layers of self-esteem, ultimately, it kind of is dependent on my judgment of whether or not I'm a good or a bad person. Now, how do I judge whether or not I'm a good or bad person? I have to compare myself to something, to someone. So when I peel back all the layers of self-esteem to have a high self-esteem, kind of have to believe that I'm special or above average. I mean, hey, I'm doing great. I'm better than so-and-so. I don't do stuff like them. You know, I'm a good person. I do these things. And people who are bad people, they do those things. It, it involves comparison. Here's the problem. If for me to have a high self-esteem, I have to believe that I'm special or above average, how can all of us be above average? Someone's got to be below average. I mean, someone's got to be on that lower half of the line. That's, you know... That's a, a problem with self-esteem. Self-esteem is also contingent upon success. For me to continue to have high self-esteem, I have to have repeated, continued, um, almost sometimes this perfectionistic streak for me to um, feel successful. I have to keep being successful. It has a harder time with that failure piece. Because when I fail, well, then I'm not special or above average. I, I'm below other people kind of a thing. Um, it can also, without thinking about it, lead us to finding ways to lift ourselves up by putting others down. Now, I might not blatantly go up and say, oh my gosh, I'm so much better than you. I don't lose my temper like you do. I might not say that, but I might think it. Oh yeah, well, someone might be being really successful, but for me to make myself feel better, I've got to bring them down a notch. Yeah, but look at how they dress. Yeah, but oh my gosh, you know. They're a mess. Yeah, but they don't treat their kids nicely. We, we find something to put them down in order to lift ourselves up. And a lot of times we're not even aware of this kind of comparison talk. It becomes so habitual. It's so automatic. And it can also lead to prejudices. Us believing that one group is better than another group 
And I have to do that in order to feel better than another group. So self-esteem isn't all bad, but it's not enough. It's not fully satisfying. All right. It doesn't meet our core needs as a human being. Um, and so I was really shocked when I was first learning about self-compassion and digging into that. And when it put it side by side with self-esteem, I'm like, oh, no wonder it's never enough. Now, let's put that side by side with self-compassion. Self-compassion is a completely different way of relating to ourselves. We relate our to, our, to ourselves with kindness. It offers all the benefits of self-esteem, feeling good, feeling happy, feeling productive, successful, all those things. But I don't have to deal with all the pitfalls of narcissism. You know, where I'm so self-focused, me, 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 perfectionism. I don't have tolerance for mistakes. Or that, ah, oh, that nasty social comparison. We have, we're constantly saturated with social comparison in our social media. We had a guy come to our district counselor meeting and he was talking about the research comparing the, um, a spike in depression and anxiety as soon um, as compared to social media use in teenagers and kids, as well as young adults. Well, um, I'm no longer a young adult, but my brain is still definitely impacted that. And it's off the charts. I mean, it has skyrocketed. Why? Because it's nonstop comparison. When you're feeling bad about yourself, then you go see someone who's got their hair looking perfect today and look at all the cool stuff they get to do. And they just got to go to this really cool place and they're traveling the world and they somehow have a meal plan that gets everything done. You know, we're nonstop in our face. Look, they're better than you. They're better than you. And we we internalize that. So self-compassion doesn't require that. I don't have to feel better about myself by being perfect or being better than everyone else. And when self-esteem deserts you, self-compassion steps in and gives you a sense of I am valuable, not because of my accomplishments, but because I'm a human and I'm worthy of love. I just am worthy of love, not for everything I do, not for everything I represent. I am worthy of love because I'm a human being. That's a much better than foundation than I am worthy of love, of love because I'm better than at least half the people out there. That's going to fail you over time. Now, I do feel like as you get older, a lot of times the things that um, used to bother you don't bother you anymore. I'm in my mid-50s, just celebrated uh, my birthday, 55, and I love the beauty and the wisdom that comes from getting older. The stuff that I used to care about in my 20s and 30s and 40s, I don't even care about anymore, but I still continue to grow in, in self-compassion. Just because I stopped being bothered by certain things as I got older didn't mean that I was talking to myself in a kinder way. Um, but that just wine those side by side, self-compassion, it's definitely a better gig. It's much more satisfying. It also really impacts motivation. Motivation, there's something in counseling um, theory called the stages of change. When we have something that we really need to work on, we could be in very different stages of change. One stage of change is don't even know you have a problem. Another stage of change, oh, I have a problem. I don't really know that I want to do anything about it. And another stage of change, I realize I have a problem. I need to start looking into things that I might be able to do to change that problem. You know, next stage, I might be ready to start trying some of those things and actually implement some of those things. And then maybe when I've grown in that area, I can maintain that change in that growth. Motivation is a big thing. Um, now, here's where self-esteem um how it deals with failure. Self-esteem kind of requires, in order for me to keep feeling good about myself, it requires um, success. Responses to failure is often judgmental. How could you? Very critical. You know, picking apart all the things that we did wrong, 
Um, and sometimes, you know, it actually tries to motivate change through shame and harsh correction. How could you do that? What's the matter with you? You know better. Come on, you're 55 years old. You can't come up with a meal plan. That kind of harshness, judgmental response, comparison response. Come on, so-and-so can do this. Why can't you do this? Um, that kind of harsh correction, that in our brains activates the threat response. Our brain releases cortisol. Our brain releases a lot of those other stress hormones, builds up that stress, and that can lead to shutting down and poor motivation. Just think of how many New Year's resolutions you've started. And come on, you should be better than like, oh my gosh, you missed a day of exercise and you said you were going to do this every day. Just forget it. Not doing anything. Um, that is the state of the brain that comparison, judgment, criticism, it literally, every feeling that we have, every thought that we have has a corresponding neurochemical cocktail that our brain feels different things that definitely impacts motivation. Well, let's look at a different response, self-compassion and failure. The responsibility is empathy, kindness, and hey, what can I do to help? When our friends fail, we respond with empathy. Oh, I know that's really hard. I mean, you must be feeling pretty frustrated right now. Um, what can I do to help? How can I be there for you? What if we responded to ourselves that way? Oh, you've been having a rough time. Yeah, it is really hard. Being human is really hard sometimes. That kind of talking, that kind of empathetic response that creates warmth, uh, you know, gentle, you know, hugs and touch and all those kinds of things, that calmness, that creates a whole different neurochemical cocktail that activates the caregiving system in our own bodies, which releases oxytocin and all those natural opiates in our bodies. And that creates a brain that's willing to change. I even think of this as a teacher. I've got a kid who is struggling with math. All right. So do I go up to that child and say, come on, this is second grade stuff. You're in third grade. You should know this by now. Come on. You just need to try harder. Let's go. Hey, if you would just pay attention, then maybe you would understand this. I've just activated their threat response. Even though everything I'm saying might be true, they're not motivated to change. They're motivated to hide. I respond with empathy. I can't do this. This math is too hard. It's going to be really hard sometimes. I can see you're really frustrated here. Need a hug? Yeah, it can be really frustrating sometimes. You know, that empathetic response doesn't react, doesn't create the same reactivity in their little minds. Hey, I, I feel connected to you. I feel like you get me. I'm willing to try something. I'm willing to take a chance. I'm motivated to try this new thing that you're encouraging me to do. It's literally, we are creating states of the brain, depending on if we respond with criticism or if we respond to ourselves with empathy. It's huge. And I think that's been the most beautiful part for me for as far as personal growth goes. I have changed more in the last eight years than I had in the previous way, you know, decades. And it started with this introduction to self-compassion. I've actually achieved some of the goals that I'd had, you know, held over my own head forever and ever and ever, especially when it came to some health things that I was going through, definitely where it came to some peace and some mindfulness and some connection, connectiveness and friendships. That's increased exponentially when I, I changed the state of my brain instead of constantly criticizing and comparing myself. And when I started to respond with self-compassion, that's when the growth actually happened that I'd been trying to do for decades. So it definitely impacts 
motivation. There's some more benefits. Self-compassion doesn't require me to constantly be evaluating myself and comparing myself to others. What a beautiful gift to release ourselves from that chain of, oh my goodness, you know, I don't have to compare myself to others. It's so beautiful when I see other people, now it's inspiring instead of creating feelings of shame. That's really cool. I wonder how they did that. People feel compassion for themselves because all human beings deserve compassion and, un- and understanding, not because someone else is more special, they're prettier, they're more talented, they're more organized. Nope. Everybody can feel compassion for themselves. It's not about comparison. With self-compassion, I don't have to feel better than other people to feel good about myself. What a message. Because I've grown in this area, thank goodness. And it hasn't been through hard work. It's actually been through compassion. Being kind to myself has helped me grow much more than, you know, getting on to myself. What a beautiful gift for me to give my daughter and my children. I can teach her, hey, 13-year-old daughter in middle school, you don't have to feel better about yourself by being better than somebody else. You don't have to compare yourself to all those other girls in middle school. You don't have to compare yourself to who you you might label as the popular kids. You're you. You're enough. Self-compassion also allows for a greater sense of clarity. Because if I can accept my personal feelings and acknowledge those with kindness, I don't need to hide them. I don't need to operate out of a system of shame like, oh, I've got to hide all the things that I'm not good at. I can't be my authentic self. I can't be vulnerable with others. It creates this, hey, yeah, that's probably an area that could use some work. Okay, I know this is hard. You know, I've been able to give myself a break and then actually get somewhere because I've given myself a break. I don't, I'm not, I'm not bogged down in shame. I don't feel the need to hide those parts of myself because I have a much different approach to failure. Um, And it allows me to be more honest with myself because the honesty the clarity, even even the honesty that's, you know, things that aren't so great, it's not met with shame, criticism, and judgment. Self-compassion isn't dependent on external circumstances. Things can actually be going pretty badly in my life, meaning I might be really experiencing some, or you might be really experiencing some very difficult things. You know, maybe you're in a health crisis, or maybe there's been some major financial struggles or real big stress in the workplace, or really struggling as a parent, and we're in a really difficult parenting season, and we're not really seeing a lot of results. You know, Oklahoma Family Network specializes also in connecting families families with special needs children to other families who are going through the same thing. It's really hard sometimes if you're tapped out and stressed out by the very real struggles that you have um, in dealing with children in general and children with special needs. I don't, everything doesn't have to be going perfectly for me to, you know, be okay. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And when compared to self-esteem, you know, self-compassion compared to self-esteem, it's associated with greater emotional resilience, the ability to bounce back from difficult things, much more accurate self-concepts. I'm not having to pretend I'm something else. I get to be just who I am. More caring relationship behavior. I can love other people better because I love myself better, as well as a lot less narcissism and a lot less reactive anger. That's a big one. You know, how much of our reactivity is, you know, stemming from, you know, we're so frustrated with ourselves. And and if we look even like at our children's behavior, 
or our partner's behavior as somehow a reflection of us and it's making me look bad, man, that's a big source for anger. If someone else's behavior doesn't have to somehow make me think less of myself, boy, what a gift. I don't have to be so reactive. Self-compassion has a lot more benefits, a lot more benefits. And again, if you notice, it's not pretending that everything's okay. You get to be honest with yourself, even the tough honesty. But that beautiful authenticity, oh, what a gift. I love it. As a matter of fact, I just, since becoming more authentic, I really seek that out um, in others. People don't connect to someone who has it all together. They connect to vulnerability. They connect to humans, to authentic humans. All right? Now, the self-compassion test, 26 questions that you just kind of go through and you answer, you know, all the time, sometimes, not at all that kind of thing. So it's a drop down menu. It takes a few minutes to do, but it's not like a 30 minute type thing. When I first took this quiz, <laughs> I was blown away. I'm like, oh, ooh. And here's my first reaction. I scored really low. And I was used to, I, I'm kind of a nerd, love that about myself. But um, my nerd uh, comparison meter was very much based on how am I comparing to others? And I was used to getting good grades. My self-worth as a student was what kind of grades I got. And I thought I was going to score high in the self-compassion test. Nope. Totally bombed it. So here are my scores. Let's look at the scores. So the first set of parentheses, that was when I first took the quiz when I was in grad school. So what would that be? That actually was eight years ago because um, I took this class a year after starting as a school counselor when I was, you know, jumped back into grad school for my certification. So here's kind of what the scores mean. The average score is three. So it's an overall score that you got um, was one to 2.5. Your overall self-compassion score is pretty low. Like you score low in self-compassion. Um, a two and a half to a three and a half indicates you have moderate self-compassion depending on the circumstance. And if you're over a 3.5 to 5.0, then you are pretty high in self-compassion. Then it also has these little subscales. So if you score low in some of these subscores, that means you have low self-compassion. If you score high in certain ones that are um, like self-judgment, isolation, and over-identification. Those scores are kind of flipped. If you score high in that, it's actually a sign of being low. So let's kind of look at these. Self-kindness. How do we talk to ourselves? What's our inner self-talk like? I scored a 2.5 on that, which was low in self-compassion. I was not kind to myself. And and people will tell you, I'm a very kind person. Aaron's, Aaron knew me during this time. I'm a very kind person. Did not mean I was kind to myself. After practicing and implementing this different way of thinking in my life eight years later. I took the test again last year and I scored a 4.80, which is pretty close to being great in self-kindness. It has radically changed and my joy has changed along with it. Self-judgment, you know, how could you, that kind of shame um, response where I'm judging myself and, and thinking poorly of myself. Um, at first I scored a 2.6, which was low in uh well actually that was moderate in self-compassion and um and then what i actually did as i as i as the years went on i scored much lower in self-judgment so a low score in self-judgment is actually the opposite that means you're high in self-compassion so what is over identification when it comes to mindful um self-compassion 
over-identification, uh, people understand that they're suffering, but they dramatize their situation to a point that no nothing else is important. So if I'm struggling, that's my whole life. You know, if I'm an angry person, I'm always angry. It's it it almost like it it overtakes. We over-identify with these negative opinions of ourselves. In mindful self-compassion, you don't have that same issue. So isolation, how much we kind of separate ourselves from other people. We were withdrawn and sometimes we're withdrawn because we feel bad. If you scored really high in that area, that's actually a sign of low self-compassion. Mindfulness, like how how good am I, not how good am I, how um, practiced am I in being able to sit in uncomfortable feelings and sticking with the here and now and not constantly worrying about the past or the future? Um, what are my, you know, mindfulness practices? Do I do my deep breathing and my meditations and things like that? And then over-identification is where when I'm having a problem, it it's all consuming. That's all I can think about. And then you've got your overall score. So here's the thing. When I first saw my scores, I was very disappointed in myself. My first response was, you should know better. You're a kind person. I can't believe you scored low in this. Uh, well, I was raised in a very harsh, critical environment. You know, I'm female, which often we are just almost like we're hardwired to compare ourselves. If any of you saw the Barbie movie, the whole montage, it's so hard to be a woman. You've got to be this, but you can't be too much. And you got to be that, but you can't be too much. You know, these are all these unwritten expectations that society has for not just for women, but for, for all people. Um, but I, I was very upset with myself. And what did I started looking at what other people in the class scored? It was just so silly. Here I was literally responding with low self-compassion to my self-compassion scores. But I was so appreciative for the mentorship of my professor because she started doing these different exercises and taught us, okay, you have to stay here. Here's what you can do. I actually gave this presentation at a school counselor conference, a uh, similar presentation. So we have a whole room full of people helpers, the most compassionate, amazing, awesome people on the planet. And they scored really low in self-compassion, which led to some vigorous discussion about why. And, you know, it was just com a common theme. I'm helpful to everyone else and I'm hard on myself. Now, we don't have to stay stuck here. We have all sorts of things that contribute to whether or not we developed self-compassion versus we developed a self-critical, self-criticism. A lot of it can be the environment we grew up in. Our culture also is not a slow down and take a break culture. Our culture is a go, 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 go. There's another book for how to be more productive, how to have this perfect meal plan. I mean, sometimes I'll find myself watching organizational videos and I'll just start looking at people's pantries and like, how do you live like that? You know, it's just so everything is about how to be the best you that you can be. It's exhausting. And not all cultures are like that. It's so interesting. So my husband is Colombian. He's from South America. I remember the first time I went down there, first thing I noticed is no one has any concept of time. You know, people weren't in a rush other than walking fast so they didn't miss the metro or something like that. But, and I just felt this weight. I was also irritated because no one was on time, but I felt this weight. I didn't have to like be here at this time and be stressed out. And, it's, and, and I was there for a couple of weeks. And when I literally got back in the United States airport, I feel this heavy pressure coming on me. It's like, oh, I got to be somewhere. I got to be here. I got to be there. And it was weird. It was almost like a cultural thing of productivity. And that's my measure of accomplishment. Um, there's so many things. Our family of origin could have really 
contributed to that harsh criticism, depending on how we were parented and so many different factors um, go into that. Your personality type. Some people are very, um, uh, they're much more high strung, you know, if you struggle with anxiety and that's and how your brain is wired. So many different contributing factors. The beautiful thing though, is you don't have to stay here. Um, so what can we do? There are lots of great things. And so number one, give yourself moments to un plug. The way that social media and all of our um, things that we follow and how much online stuff that we do and how much time we spend watching things and how more too much time we spend indoors versus outdoors. Unplugging is so good for the brain. Helping our children unplug. It doesn't mean you have to give it all the way up, but send it, set in some times where we're not just using technology. Because, I mean, literally our consumer-driven society, the way that people sell stuff is to make you kind of feel bad about yourself. And then if you feel better about yourself when you buy this stuff, because it's going to make you better. It's kind of the core undercurrent of advertising. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, and we are a consumer, a spending-driven uh, economy. So just without even realizing it, how much that seeps down into our tendency as humans to compare ourselves to others in favorable or unfavorable ways. So take those minutes to unplug. Limit social media when you can, especially with kids, um, because they'll grow up thinking that there's something wrong with them and there's nothing wrong with them. But if I had to compare myself to a million other people that I have easy access to online, that's that's difficult. Also on the um, Mindful Self-Compassion website, they have some fantastic um, meditation practices. In there, some of their free guided meditations and practices, they have, these are great to just kind of click through, see what you like. You might even create a playlist in your phone of some of these mindful meditation practices. So this is one that I really like. So let me see if this one showed up and we're going to actually do this together. So I'll explain it to you and then we'll do this together. So this one, it's a really simple one called soothing touch. I actually teach this to the kids um, at school as a school counselor. I go in every month and do guidance lessons. And so this is one we haven't done it with this particular group just yet. I'll be doing this before the end of the year. But soothing touch just our body is designed to respond to soothing, affectionate touch. It releases oxytocin. It releases all of those feel-good chemicals in our body. So when we're giving a hug or someone gives us a pat on the back or, or something like that, it, it feels good. Um, now, for some of us, if our love language is physical touch, you know, those hugs, just they're extra meaningful for us. But just that kind, tender, thoughtful, compassionate touch, we are, are, we are designed to respond to that. Our brains are designed to respond to that. We can do this for ourselves, too. So it's one of the things it recommends is when you understand this, this to be deep, satisfying breaths. And then you can gently place your hand on your heart. Some people actually just kind of give themselves a hug. Some people might rub on their chest, just kind of, you know, a, a peaceful, you know, compassionate thing. Some people hold their hand, their own hand. Some people put your, you know, hand on your belly and just kind of rest it there. Uh, you know, some people just kind of gently stroke the, the side of their arms. Um, but any of these kinds of things, it's just affectionate, tender touch while we're taking deep breaths. This is a great way to respond when we're starting to have a bunch of negative self-talk or we're incredibly stressed out. Hey, I'm going to activate oxytocin in my system so I can just close my eyes and do that. So 
I want you to do that with me now. So just close your eyes and you can either, you know, give yourself a gentle hug, place your hand on your chest and just kind of pat yourself or just, you know, do a nice warm circular motion, you know, right up kind of on your upper chest. And while you're doing that, just take a few deep breaths. My favorite is just rubbing my hand up and down the side of my arm. Take another deep breath. Take another deep breath. That's it. One reason why I respond so well to this, when sometimes I'm just taking a deep breath, I have ADHD. My brain goes 2,000 different directions while I'm taking a deep breath. <laughs> I mean, that's just how I'm wired. But if I have my hands and I'm gently, you know, having a circular motion, um, if I'm, I like to rub the side of my arm, my brain actually then just focuses on that touch. It, it takes me out of my head space and just responds to that. It's just comforting. It's just makes me feel better while I'm taking some of those deep breaths. That's a mindfulness exercise. So there's all sorts of amazing different exercises on that self-compassion website. Um, so highly recommend. There's tons of great meditations on there. Practice talking to yourself like you would a good friend, even out loud. So I had to first catch myself and then switch my conversation. So I have this really amazing tendency to misplace things, my glasses and my keys. And so at first, you know, I lose my keys. Oh, come on, Lauren, you're a grown woman. You should know better. Yo, oh, you lost them again. I'd be walking around the house yelling at myself with my children home, you know, with my daughter there listening to me. One time my daughter followed me. She's like, are you mad, mama? Are you sad, mama? Are you mad, mama? Are you sad, mama? Well, I'm trying to find my keys. So didn't really help. But then I'm like, oh, she's listening to me. So now I'm a human being. I'm not perfectly talking to myself at all times. So come on, look. All right, Lauren. Your brain is wired differently. All right, where's the last time you found your keys? Where should I look? Oh, here you go again. You're so silly, losing your keys again. Uh, that makes you special. I've learned to respond with humor out loud to myself. So and just catching the harsh talk and switching gears can make a huge difference. So practice talking to yourself like you would a good friend. Acknowledge frustration and difficulty and respond to yourself with empathy. Hey, I don't have to pretend that everything's okay when it's not, but I can respond to myself with empathy. Yeah, you're having a really frustrating day. You're working really hard and things didn't turn out like you thought they would. I can respond to myself with empathy. And then find your favorite self-compassion meditations. Um, I like the self-compassion break. It's an auditory, like an audio um, meditation, which is a great thing to do before you go to sleep or if you've had a really rough day. It's like five some five and a half minutes, something like that. It's on the mindful, mindful self-compassion website. Um, silence. Silence would be wonderful sometimes. So just being silent is great. Um, Netflix has um, Headspace channel. Headspace is a wonderful app that has a lot of meditations um, in it. And then there's also, they have, if you have Netflix, they have a channel called Headspace on Netflix. And the episodes are mindfulness practices in an episode and it also teaches you about how mindfulness impacts the brain so and they even have one for helping you um, sleep the mindfulness uh, headspace channel on netflix i have listening to music i have my drive through dallas playlist 
Dallas stresses me out. I used to have to drive down. My son was in college in uh, Waco and uh, just going on all the stress. So I literally had my playlist of songs that were uplifting, that motivated me, that calmed me down. Um, but listening to music is a very powerful thing. Uh, laughter yoga. I've never heard of laughter yoga. I, I'm sorry, Rosemary. Do you mind? You you need to tell us more. I do not. I've never ever heard of laughter yoga. Okay, laughter yoga is something actually. This guy started someplace in India, and it's just getting together and doing different things. And to start off with, you just laughing. You just laughing may not be funny, but you're just doing these different laughter moments. And then it gets very contagious, <laughs> you know, and you start laughing, you know, but it's it's really fun, <laughs> especially when you do it with a group of people <laughs> and you find yourself. I'm totally really going to look that up. I might need to try that with my students at school. That... Oh, yes, it's great with them. I've heard of hot yoga, but I've never heard of laughter yoga okay. before. So the OSU extension actually came to our school and did it with the staff one time. And but and they did one um, as an after school. They taught the kids how to do laughter yoga. But so if anybody's interested, I don't know if they're still doing it, but um, there is truly a training that you have to take on it. So it's kind of funny, but it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and like Rosemary said, it's contagious. Right. Everybody just starts laughing and you have to go up and laugh for like five seconds in front of someone. And then they start laughing. And it's a really neat thing. We all need to know about this. That's hilarious. I might need I definitely want to learn more about that and try that with my students as well as myself. Um, all right. So you don't have to stay. Now, the beautiful thing for me is the biggest change for me was really focusing on that common humanity. Why am I expected to be perfect? I don't have to be perfect. Who told me that I had to be perfect? I don't have to listen to that. Really changing my self-talk and that improvement in those mindfulness things, just some deep breathing exercises has really, really helped me grow in that area. Even just the awareness. Oh, I didn't really think about how I'm talking to myself. Didn't really think about how I'm responding in that situation. And that has been okay. And it's okay to not be okay. Acknowledge how you actually feel, not how you should feel. Should is a cuss word in my opinion, because should, the other side of should is shame. You know, if I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Well, I feel ashamed when I'm not. Okay, this is how I feel. I don't have to get into this even perfectionism on my feelings. Acknowledge how you actually feel, not how you should feel. Because when I respond with empathy and authenticity, then I can actually move forward from there. Step away from social comparison. There will literally, until the end of time, always be someone who's more organized, more enthusiastic, more healthy, blah, 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 whatever it is the thing that you have a tendency to be critical of yourself about, there will always be someone better than that. I don't have to be better. I don't even have to be above average in some areas. And that's okay. Embrace where you are now, not where you should be, where you are now. Show yourself kindness. Recognize that humanity and that other people have similar feelings to you. You know, and sometimes this can really help you develop those authentic friendships that are actually helpful. Um, support each other and ask how self-talk is going. So if you have a self 
you know, compassion buddy, you know, a good friend, what a great fun thing this could be to do instead of having, you know, let's get together and and go out to eat. Hey, let's get together and we're going to take the self-compassion test and then we're going to help each other. And maybe, you know, once a week, I'm going to be sharing different things with you that are working for me. Remind yourself that you're amazing just as you are. You are worthy of love and kindness because you are a human being. That's it. That's all that required. That's all that's required. And yeah, we can always do better. We can always change and grow. But when we get out of that suffocating blanket of shame, it's beautiful. And change your hurtful rules. We create these expectations for ourselves. And who said we have to do that? I recently read something where uh, someone was in a therapy session and they were just not, they were really struggling with depression. They were just not feeling it. And just, they could not do the dishes. They just could not get themselves to go get the dishes and, you know, put them, you know, get them rinsed off and put them in the dishwasher. And, oh my gosh, I can't even do it. And they're like, I got I, I, I to clean them off. I don't even have the energy to clean them off. And the therapist said, who said you have to clean them off? Who told you that? Well, that's what you're supposed to do. According to who? You can run it in the dishwasher. You can run the dishwasher twice. Who said you have to run the dishwasher one time? You can run it twice. You can run it three times. You can put them in there dirty. You can put them in there without rinsing them off. If rinsing them off is overwhelming, put them in there. Don't rinse them off. Run it twice. Who made that rule for you? Evaluate some of the rules you're having for yourself. And if those are hurtful rules, if those are keeping you stuck, you know, it is good to have some rules. So I'm not saying have no rules. But we have some really unrealistic expectations. And because of those unrealistic, immovable expectations, we remain in a state of frustration and we'll never be able to measure up. I mean, change some of those rules. It's okay. If they are causing you um, to stay stuck in, you know, self-criticism. So rerun the dishwasher. Who cares. And I will say that is the beauty of getting a little bit older is I don't really care what you think of me. You know, I remember I had a pre-K student. Um, I used to, in my my classes, I'd go and do my little guidance lessons and pre-K kids, they love to be in your personal space. So they, I got so, they would attack me when I left and everyone's trying to hug me and then they're crying if they don't get to hug me. So we had a new thing. You let, if you want a hug for Mrs. Alvarez, you have to get in a line we did a hug line. I'd sit down in a chair, they'd come and give me a hug, and then they'd go back to their spot on the carpet. And then I could, in an orderly fashion, leave the room. This one little girl gives me this big hug. And then she patted my tummy and she said, Mrs. Alvarez, I just love your squishy tummy. If I was in my 20s and someone had said that to me, I would have just about died. Oh my gosh, pre-K kids think I'm fat. And in her little mind, that was the sweetest thing she could have ever told me. I tell that story to my third and fourth graders at school and they all go, oh, oh snap, no, Ooh, she burned you. And I said, no, I had a choice about what to do with those words. And my decision was, you know what? My squishy tummy makes me really good at giving hugs. As a matter of fact, my squishy tummy makes me better at my school counseling job. I'm glad I had that squishy tummy. I earned that squishy tummy. And, and I said, you get to decide how you absorb those words. You know, when we can learn to talk to ourselves in a self-compassionate way, what a joy. And oh my gosh. And like I said, I've had more personal growth in the last eight years when I got out of the blanket of shame, because now it's not about 
proving I can do something. It's about, oh, you actually love myself a little bit more. I want to change and grow in this area because, you know, it's better for me. It brings me more peace. You already know how to be a good friend. Just remember how to be a good friend to yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271 5072.